Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Slate's Working Podcast is brought to you by Braintree. It's a beautiful thing when your customers want to pay. But what if they could pay every way? Braintree lets you accept all forms of payment, including PayPal, Apple Pay, Android Pay, and more. Now you could take them all in over 130 currencies. And as your company grows, Braintree will stay by your side. From your first dollar to your billionth. All it takes is a couple lines of code to get started. To learn more, visit BraintreePayments.com slash working. And by Citrix GoToMeeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Try it for free for 30 days by visiting GoToMeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. That's GoToMeeting.com. Try it free. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. I'm Laura Anderson, a writer and editor for Slate. On today's episode, we talk with someone who drinks a lot on the job. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Andrew Mulligan, and I am a portfolio manager for a wine importer and distributor. When you say that you're a portfolio manager, what is the portfolio consisting of? Does it consist of different wines? Yes. Um, We lovingly call my portfolio the economic crisis portfolio because it is Portugal, Spain, and Greece. So all the wines from those three countries are under my purview. So is your job to find wine producers in these three countries and make deals with them to import wine to the U.S.? Or is that a complete misunderstanding of what you do? No, that is one part of of what I do. You know, I'm very lucky to work at um, this company at Skernick Wines because we have a very, very good reputation all over the world. And so, in fact, it's not kind of me going around and knocking on doors and shaking the trees. It's a lot of people wanting to 
be with us. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we, we, unfortunately for these, you know, the many producers that are seeking representation, we reject probably 95% of the wine that's offered to us. And that's the way that we maintain the integrity of our portfolio, even as it grows. And, um, each portfolio is kind of like its own separate company. So in a lot of areas, we, we are certainly very much looking for new things. And um, But in, in Spain, particularly right now, we've kind of put the brakes on because, you know, we've grown from 29 producers in 2011 to, to 98 producers now. So, yeah, I would say that now looking for new stuff and making deals with new producers is a, a very very small part of, of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. When you are considering whether to work with a producer, what are the criteria that go into that decision? I mean, um, I think first and most importantly, it is about the wine. We don't uh, taste wine with the people. We don't do that because, um, you know, if the person's like really charming or like you just, you feel really great about them and you want to do right by them and you know whatever impression they give you is going to color the way that you perceive the wine and so we taste all the wines in what we call our lab which is just over in there if it's a wine from spain it'll be me my assistant portfolio manager and then uh, michael and Harmon skernick who are the brothers that own the company run the company and taste every single wine that comes through the door uh in in large part it's their decision whether whether you know i can fight for something if i really want it but if both Harmon and michael say no it's pretty much a no does the bottle come into consideration do you look at the bottle and does that affect the way that yeah you perceive yeah the wine? so so after um tasting the wine you know the questions are is this good? Does it taste good? You know, a lot of wine tastes good, but isn't necessarily marketable for one reason or another. And so does it taste good? Is it pleasant? And then you look for typicity. Is this a typical expression of this grape? If it's not, is this an expression of this grape that we would like to see people become familiar with? You know, maybe maybe it's outside of our experience, but it merits, you know, attention and... Um, and then sometimes it's not, you know, we can say, okay, this wine is tastes good, but it doesn't taste like we expect in a way that is not interesting, but is rather sort of off-putting or jarring. And then also the price. Um, you know, a lot of people taste wine without looking at the prices, which, uh, you know, I think is dumb because you can taste a, a lovely wine and then realize that you'd have to sell it in a store for $150 a bottle. And you say, well, that's not you know, nobody's going to pay that much money for this, even though it's great, you know. And um, and then, yes, you have all these other secondary things, like the package. It would be nice to live in a world where, you know, aesthetics didn't come into play. They do tremendously, you know. And, I mean, probably a, a good portion of wine consumers buy wine because of what it looks like on the outside. And um, we struggle mightily with lots of our producers that have great wine and just can't make anything resembling a coherent or marketable package. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you poured us each a small glass of this beautiful looking white wine. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, so this is um, 
This is a relatively new wine to Skarnik Wines, to this company. Um, this is from an area of Spain that's um, not super well-known in terms of uh, the wines that come from there, but it's called the Ribeiro, R-I-B-E-I-R-O. And so this is a producer called uh, Luis Ancho Rodriguez Vasquez, and um, he's um, imported by a guy named Jose Pastor, who imports a lot of really fantastic wines. And so this uh, particular wine comes from the northwest of Spain, and I think uh, the northwest is where is the most exciting area of Spain. So we're talking about Galicia. The wine that's most famous from Galicia is Albarino, which most people have heard of and you know, you can find in any wine store. Um, but this wine is uh, made from, let's see, Trechadura, Trechadura Albarino Lado, and a grape called Torrantes, which is actually more famous uh, coming from uh, Argentina. So, yeah, so this is um, very small production, very little known wine and wine region. You mentioned that the importer is, I forget the name. That Jose mentioned. Pastor. Jose Pastor. What's your relationship with him? So Jose Pastor has a portfolio of wines and um, we, so he'll have a different distributor in each of, you know, the major markets around the United States. So what he, the role he's playing is uh, first of all, selecting the wines and finding new and interesting things to offer and um, also maintaining the relationships with the producers. So if I need to order wine from Luis, for example, I don't send Luis an email, I send Jose an email. So the whole system works really well because for these 37 wineries, mm -hmm. I only have to speak to like these four people. And they probably don't want to have to deal with a million different distributors exactly. and importers as yeah, well. Exactly. So it's good for them. It's good for us. Um, but of course, uh, the importers take a margin. So things that we have direct that we both import and distribute, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, a good portion of, of the portfolio, um, the prices are better. This episode of Working is brought to you by Braintree. You remember the first dollar you made. Now you want to grow to make your billionth. Have you found the right payments partner to grow with you? Braintree lets you accept every way to pay, from PayPal to Apple Pay and everything in between. All it takes is one integration. And it doesn't matter what currency your customers use, because Braintree lets you accept over 130 of them. To learn more about how your company can grow with Braintree, visit braintreepayments.com working. How much are you concerned with the logistics of importing and the various laws that you have to obey while importing from other countries? Extremely. And it, it, it is very frustrating at times. Mm -hmm. um, Could you summarize the various laws that you have to think about? Or are there too yeah. many of them? No, well, there are, there are, there are too many. Um, but some of the, the laws that, are, um, that I'm dealing with on almost a daily basis are um, the Tax and Trade Bureau, the TTB, has very strict instructions and very sort of nonsense instructions on what can or cannot appear on the label. So like, okay, for instance, so this is Jose Pastor's back label on mm -hmm. this wine, but you have the government warning. Right. Um, and now you'd think, okay, we'll just fit in the government warning somewhere. No, no. The government warning has to be a certain number of millimeters high and, you know, has to be verbatim, you know, contain sulfites, you have to say, of course, the alcohol percentage by volume, 
And so working with a lot of European suppliers, they're like, you got to be kidding me. You know, like, really? Well, and also in Europe, they have... Um, it's a little silhouette of a pregnant woman with a with a yeah, slash through it. Uh, you know, like don't drink when you're pregnant. Right. So that icon is considered by the United States government to be obscene. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, I've heard stories of people shipping wine to the United States and forgetting to remove the pregnant woman thing. Uh-huh. And, like, an intern having to go to the warehouse with, like, a black Sharpie and, like, black out. Oh, my every, God. Yeah, because they will, they will hold it in customs, you know. And um, it's, like, super frustrating, but it's something that you have to do because the worst thing that could possibly happen is you're really excited about this new wine that you're bringing in. You know, you place a big order. It gets to the port and your box gets opened, which they do all the time. And they look at it, and they find something that's not compliant. And in some cases, they'll destroy the wine. That's terrible. And that doesn't mean that we don't have to pay for it. Right, you know? right, right, right. Um, when you taste wines, do you have a mental checklist of things that you're looking for? Or is it more of an intuitive experience? I would say it is more intuitive. And um, though I guess, you know, when I say it's intuitive, it also... It is a mental checklist. You know, I might not be saying, okay, does it have acidity? Does it have fruit? Does it have minerals? You know, the overall impression of the wine is composed of all of those things. And um, one of my favorite parts of my job is doing um, education, whether it be for the staff of a restaurant or for... um, I live in um, Carroll Gardens, and there's a great wine store called Brooklyn Wine Exchange uh, that has a classroom in the back and um, so every once in a while I'll go there and teach about a certain topic to um, consumers and um, so one of the things that I don't like to do which I think is a little bit too prevalent in the you know sort of wine education and and wine media scene is give tasting notes because if I'm standing up there in front of a room as the quote-unquote expert and I'm saying I taste you know blackberries and licorice and uh, tobacco and you're sitting there in the room as someone that's looking to learn something but you don't taste blackberries and licorice and tobacco because everyone tastes with their own palate and everyone describes the associations to themselves in their own language. And so it can then be frustrating for that person who, because they're like, well, that guy said it tastes like this and I don't taste that. So I must be wrong or I must have, you know, not a good palate. But mm-hmm. so I try and when I'm teaching, I, I put the emphasis on history, on culture, on, yes, you know, the technical aspects of making the wine and what the grape is about. And But I, I try not to tell people what it tastes like. So in a similar way, when I am tasting wine, I take copious notes. Like when I'm visiting the countries and I'm in the vineyards, I take copious notes on the winemaking process, you know, the place, what my impressions are. But when I'm tasting wine, I close my notebook, you know, and a lot of people really depend on tasting notes to help them in their recall of, of the wine. You know, I'll go on a trip for two weeks and I'll taste 300 wines. And um, on some level, I'm supposed to be able to recall them, but I 
decided to stop taking notes while tasting wine and just allow the impression to arrive kind of fully formed rather than as the sum of all these different component parts that I'm noting. But I feel like I have a better memory, like my sense memory is heightened by not breaking the wine down into its component parts. So I kind of have an idea of the wine almost as if it were a person or a character in a book, you know. And so I remember it in that way. And I certainly remember if I liked it or if I didn't like it, which at the end of the day is really all that's important. Mm -hmm. So... How much wine do you drink these days? That, I don't know. You know, my mother might listen to this. Um, <laughs> I at least taste wine every day. You know, we, we do spit a lot here mm-hmm. um, because we do have to maintain our professionalism even after, you know, sometimes having to taste dozens of wines. And um, certainly when I'm out eating, I'm ordering wine for the most part. But I also, I also drink beer. Whatever the environment I'm in dictates my beverage of choice, but because I work in the wine business, I'm often in environments where I'm choosing wine. This week's episode of Working is brought to you by Citrix GoToMeeting. Think about the time, money, and hassle it takes to hold a meeting. Instead, you can meet your clients and coworkers online with Citrix GoToMeeting. It's a smarter way to meet. GoToMeeting makes it easy to meet with your team whenever you need to and wherever you are. Because with GoToMeeting, you can meet from any computer, tablet, or smartphone without having to worry about travel expenses or the hassle of traffic. Your team can join you by clicking a link. There are no signups and no speed bumps. You just turn on your webcam, and it's like being in the same room. You can also share screens to present, review, and get feedback in real time. Because with GoToMeeting, everyone sees what you're seeing, so your team can get on the same page and get going. To sign up for GoToMeeting today, go to gotomeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. You will get to try it free for 30 days with nothing to lose. Do it now and have your first meeting up and running in minutes. That's gotomeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. What is a typical day like for you? What time do you get to the office? What's the first thing you do? I get to the office around 9.30. Usually the first thing I do is run a report that uh, shows me performance of my portfolio month to date and year to date. And that's kind of like a masochistic thing, I guess, because why do I need to check it every day? I could Does check it. Does it change much from day to day? It can. For instance, today it changed for the positive. And then I realized that that was because December 8th of last year was a Sunday. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh so it's comparing to a year ago. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and then um, I generally have a fair amount of emails from Europe. So the morning is a lot of times about conducting that business. And then... Um, are they usually just like practical problems with importing? Or are they questions about the label or... Anything. I mean, mm-hmm. it could it could really be anything. You know, in general, it's a lot of, you know, we'll send an order, we'll get a confirmation back. Or they'll say, oh, we're out of that thing. Or this thing is no longer the 2010 vintage. It's moved to 11. And then we fix it. So yeah, mostly just very practical issues. Um, the job is... Um, Um, There's a lot of different facets to it. Um, So I'm working with the suppliers, but I'm also working with the sales reps. And so the sales reps are calling, they're emailing, they're saying, hey, I'm running from the subway into an appointment, I'm 10 minutes late, and I need you to tell me everything I need to know about this wine, Mm -hmm. you know, because the sales reps have a much more difficult job when it comes to, because they, they don't 
specialize, you know, so they have to know a little something about every single wine in our portfolio, which is 2,000 wines. And then logistics, building shipping containers, saying, okay, we have 200 cases here, 400 cases here, you know, I have a map of Spain behind my desk for when I forget where places are, and um, are we going to leave from the port of Bilbao when we're sure to be transshipped through Antwerp and it's going to take 19 days, or are we going to pay an extra... 400 euros to have the wine moved to the port of Barcelona where there's direct service and a lot of the stuff that I do is has nothing to do with wine. I mean I use more math than I ever thought I would have to in my life and um, Are you involved in pricing wine? Yes. Okay. Um, How do you make that decision? So I don't have complete autonomy when it comes to that you know we have a, a model on which we um, work and uh, if I were to stray too far from that model, it would probably be something I'd have to have a conversation about with Michael and Harmon Skernick. Uh, but in general, my general philosophy is I try to make the wines as inexpensive as we possibly can and still be profitable. Because I would rather sell 100 cases of wine at $10 a bottle than 80 cases of wine at $11 a bottle. I find that to be fairly self-explanatory, but you know, I'm generally of the mind that what's good for us as a company is good for you as a wine consumer. So generally, I mean, the pricing is is pretty much like the computer kind of tells you what how to price the wine uh, based on the model that we have and based on what our, our CFO and our controller put into place to, to make sure that we're profitable and that, you know, we have cash flow and, um, you know, all those considerations. Do you negotiate with suppliers and producers to set a price, or is there a price pretty much set and you have to just decide whether or not you want to pay it? Definitely negotiate. You know, we fight like wild dogs against any price increases. Um, There are sort of magic price points, you know, like if we sell a wine for $10 a bottle, you know, the rule of thumb is that you're going to mark it up 1.5 times. So if we sell a wine to a store for 10 bucks, it's going to be on the shelf for 15 bucks or 14.99 or whatever. So a very important price point becomes when you get to, let's say 12 or 13 bucks, is this going to get to the shelf for 19.99 because the difference between 19.99 and 20.99 or 21.99 is that's a huge cycle that's why prices are in 99s because of the psychological barrier that exists mm-hmm. you know between something that's $19 or something that's 20 and so if i really think that a wine needs to fit into a certain price category to be competitive then I, I have no problem telling the producer that. And um, there are a number of different ways that we can work it out. Um, a lot of producers elect to, rather than lower the price of the wine, they'll say on a pallet fits 56 cases, you pay for 54 of them and we'll give you two cases for free. Mm-hmm. Because that's, I don't know if they can skirt excise taxes that way or, or what, but that seems to be the way that a lot of people like to do it. Uh, rap, you know, adjust, make a price adjustment in the form of product rather than in the form of... I mean, it's all the same at the end of the day. The number at the bottom of the invoice is the same, whether you lower the price of the wine or add free goods to the deal. But um, Have you ever had a wine that you expected to be like incredibly popular 
and it wasn't, or vice versa, a wine that you expected to have like a very small customer base, but then it became very popular? Definitely the former. Because <laughs> yeah. um, presumably most of your wines, you're hoping that they're going to be very popular. Right, yeah. right. But um, the latter is something that happens very, very rarely, just because we know... What people are buying. We know what people are buying, and we know what, within reason, what the potential of, of something is, you know. I think in general, you know, as people that sell things for a living, we're optimistic about, you know, the performance of, of the products that we carry. And, you know, we buy them because we think they're great. But we also, we're buying something to sell it to somebody who's going to sell it to somebody else. So we're one step removed from what you would call the end user. And so sometimes in that step or sometimes in the step from us to the store or the restaurant, something is lost, you know, and uh, there are plenty of examples of things that I just say, I don't get it. I don't get why we're not selling tons of this stuff. This is what I drink at home. You know, this is a great value, but for whatever reason, usually has very little to do with the actual taste of the wine. Mm-hmm. Pricing, packaging, where the wine comes from, all these different factors, sometimes you you know, you know make bad bets. And uh, you know, all we're trying to do is make more good bets than, um, than bad ones. And you know, Michael and Harmon have been in business for 28 years, so uh, I think they're pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, Are Americans very trend-focused when it comes to wine? Do Americans just sort of like jump from one wine trend to the next, or do you think that they're becoming more actually sophisticated and getting a better understanding? Um, I think I think they are becoming more sophisticated. Um, yes, the market is absolutely trend driven, and you know I always have to be careful because my experience is New York City, and New York City, what we're seeing a lot of is that trends are important, but more and more. The, the level of, of sophistication of the end user is, is rising at a rate that's quicker than the level of sophistication of, of a wine professional like me, you know, or, or of a sommelier. And so, you know, I think um, this idea of wine as an aspirational beverage and as something that um, one should know something about or one would be embarrassed to misspeak about or... or is the thing that's standing in the way of us being a truly great wine appreciating culture because almost all of those considerations have nothing to do with what's in the bottle or what's in the glass and they have everything to do with marketing with trends with you know and if people would just there's Stop feeling yeah, embarrassed about wine. Yeah, and there's there's so many studies that have been done about how your actual perception of flavor can be affected by your perception of the amount of money that something costs Mm -hmm. and like there are amazing amazing wines from every country that makes wine that you can get for 15 bucks but i would say like the difference between 10 bucks and 15 bucks is huge the difference between 15 bucks and 100 is smaller now that doesn't go for everything but uh but in general, you can do very well and drink very well and not spend a lot of money. And uh, But that requires you to make an investment. If you get to know your merchant, you know, and it might not be the place that's right on your block, you know, you might go in there and not have a positive experience or find that the staff wasn't engaging, but almost anybody in the five boroughs of New York can find a place within walking distance of their apartment 
where there is somebody who is is going to reward the investment that you're making in their business by providing the added value of sharing what they love about wine with you and sharing the bottles that they love with you at whatever price you're you're shopping at. And um, you know, one of the great laws of New York is a cancel wine in supermarkets and. Um, the behemoth companies are trying to change that um, mm-hmm. because they sell supermarket wine and uh, you know it could allow them to narrow their focus to just this the bunch of chains but you know in a, in a similar vein is the law in New York that you can only hold one license it prevents the domination of chains because when you have a chain then everything becomes about economies of scale and it, it, and it, it becomes so difficult for a small business to compete against a chain, especially with the way that pricing schemes work. You know, if you buy 200 cases of absolute vodka, you might get it for 12 bucks a bottle. And if you buy only one case, because that's the only room you have in your store, it might be 16 bucks a bottle. And then, so you're selling it at a higher price and it just, it kills competition. And so, but you know, there, there are so many great wine stores out there and so many people that have, dedicated their career and you know it's you don't get rich owning a wine store but they love it so much that they've invested you know probably their entire life savings to open up a place and and you know it it doesn't matter if you're in crown heights or you're in greenpoint or you're in the lower east side i mean anyone can find a great wine store Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Working. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this podcast. You can email us at working at slate.com. And you can also listen to our first four seasons at slate.com slash working. This episode was produced by Jason DeLeon. Our senior producer is Mike Vuolo, and our executive producer is Andy Bowers. I'm Laura Anderson. See you next time on Working. Hi, I'm Richard Deitch, host of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Sports Illustrated is the most trusted name in sports journalism, and now with the SI Podcast Network, you can take us with you wherever you go. From sports media to the NFL to fantasy football to the NBA, no one has you covered in the podcasting space like Sports Illustrated. See the entire lineup and learn more at si.com slash podcasts. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.